Hey, Open Arms. So today we have got the honor of having Dr. Leanne Grief all the way from Cape Town in South Africa. Leanne, along with her husband, Andre, lead an incredible church called View Church. And both Leanne and Andre are two of our very best friends for both myself and Gillian. We had the honor of spending a year with them and learning from them in Cape Town. And I know that Leanne is an incredible teacher, pastor, leader, medical practitioner. And I know that the word that she's going to bring today is going to encourage you, inspire you, and give you some practical tools even for your own life. So I really hope that you enjoy this, lean in together, let's take notes together, and enjoy as Leanne speaks to us today. Hello, Open Arm Church. It is so good to be with you guys today. Such an honor. I am bringing so much love from South Africa, um, from the Gruyere family or the Grief family, as I know the Irish uh, refer to us. Um, I just want to tell you guys, we love your church. We love your lead pastors. Um, Pastor Sean and Jill Booth, they are um, yeah, pretty much um, Andre and myself best, best friends. Um, you guys have got gold there as your lead pastors. So um, just sending you guys so much love. Um, because we love them so much, Ireland is now our second favorite country as well. And we root for you guys after the spring box. Um, and I also just want to honor Pastor uh, PJ and Liz Booth, who have raised up um, Sean and Jill to be the legends that they are. But it's so good to be with you guys. Um, I've told our girls that as soon as COVID is over and lockdown is over, we are getting on a plane to come visit um, Uncle Sean and Auntie Jill in Ireland, and we'll get to visit Open Arms Church. And they were very excited in the beginning. They were like, oh, do they live on an island? Is it like Mauritius? And then I had to say, no, it's not that kind of an island. It's, it's Ireland. Um, it's also beautiful and it's got sea, but it's not like Mauritius. And so now uh, my girls, it's, it's very funny when they talk about Ireland, it's Ireland because um, they only know islands as in tropical islands. Um, but we are coming for you, Ireland, as soon as we can get on a plane. We're going to get into the word. Let's open up in prayer. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that we can um, gather together around your word. I thank you that you have a message for us. I pray that I will get out of the way, that you will speak through me, that you will move your children. God, I thank you that your word never returns void. It always does what you um, you set it out to do. Um, and I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Awesome. So I wanted to start off by asking, are there any people listening today who are fans of the Olympic Games? Okay, I, I really enjoy the Olympic Games. To me, they are so much fun. Um, you know, you get to sit on the couch with a blanket and just watch all these amazing athletes who have dedicated their lives to training for the specific sport. And for me, I'm always especially fascinated by the sprinters probably because I am not a very fast runner myself. And um, in primary school, I used to always think, you know, your mind is powerful. And if you tell yourself that you can run fast, you will run fast. I say, Leanne, just tell yourself to run fast and it, it will happen. Um, but I've now realized that it's not the case. Um, you can have the strongest mind. If you don't have the muscles or the genetics, you are not going to run fast. And so I learned I have other strengths and other things going for me. I'm not a sprinter, 
But I love watching the sprinters at the Olympics. They are just the most insane athletes. And if you're a fan um, of, of sprinting or if you've been watching the Olympics, you will know, and this kind of bugs me a little bit, that America win so many gold medals, right? Like, it's always USA, USA, and, and I'm the kind of person, I root for the underdog. So I'm, I'm always like, if it's an African country, then I like, I'm super excited. If South Africa is running, I go crazy. Um, if Ireland is doing something, you guys, like I said, you're my second favorite country now because of the booths, so I get super excited. But when the USA keep on winning, I'm like, oh, give someone else a chance. But we have to be honest, they've got some serious talent. So they're really good. Now, if you've been following the Olympics, and if you've been following the sprinting, you will know that from the year 2000 to the year 2012, the American 100-meter relay women's team on paper were insanely talented, okay? On paper, they had four champions running in the races, and on paper, they should have creamed all the competition. It, it was almost like it's not even a competition. Like, of course they're going to win. And so in the year 2000, the Olympic Games were being held in Sydney, Australia, and the women's 100-meter relay was starting, and everyone was like, America have got this. And America were pretty confident, too, that they had got this. And the relay goes, and of course they're in the lead, and they're winning, and they get a little bit overconfident. And as they're doing the last exchange of the baton, so obviously in a relay, you have to hand the baton to the next runner, and there's a, a 20 meter exchange zone. As they were busy um, doing the last exchange, they got a little bit relaxed. They let their guard down, and it was a bit of a sloppy pass, um, but, but you know the final runner got it. But in that moment of complacency, what actually happened was the Bahamas and Jamaica zoomed past them and ended up getting the gold and the silver respectively, putting America in third place. And everyone was like, what just happened? This is like the champion team, the best squad in years. How did they not win this relay? But it was all because of a sloppy exchange, a bad handing over of the baton. So 2004 comes along and everyone's like, okay, on paper now, again, America have this insane team. The USA are gonna get the gold they should have got in 2000 and this is their comeback and off they go. And again, they are winning. They are doing so well. And then what happens is Marion Jones is coming in, okay? She's in the lead um, and she's a great athlete. This poor woman had been doing the long, ju long jump the whole of the day before. She was also a long jump champion. And so in this last, last stretch of the race, she suddenly got extremely fatigued and she couldn't carry on going. But the person she was meant to hand the baton to didn't realize that Marion was cramping up and seizing up. And so she started sprinting in that 20 meter exchange zone. And Marion was like kind of calling out and signaling and, and trying to say, hold on, I'm, I'm giving in. I, I'm not going to make it slow down. 
And by the time the girl that she was meant to hand the baton to realized that Marion wasn't coping, and by the time she slowed down and managed to get the baton from Marion, they had passed the 20-meter exchange zone, and the USA was disqualified. So second year in a row, the, the, the champions on paper are out of the competition. Okay, so 2008 comes along. And again, everyone is like, well, this is their year. There is no way they're going to make another mistake. And 2008 comes and off America go. And again, they are in the lead because they have the fastest sprinters. And in the last exchange, have a look at the picture. What happens? They drop the baton in the exchange zone. So... I mean, the world is now just beside themselves. So three years running, America, the should-be winners, the should-be champions are disqualified because of a sloppy exchange of the baton. And the whole world is like, what is going on? 2012 rolls around, and finally, the USA women's 100-meter relay team win the gold medal. And why did they finally win it? Because for the first time in 12 years, they made sure that every single exchange of the baton was done seamlessly and with excellence, and that made all the difference, and they got the gold just like they should have got in 2000, in 2004, and in 2008. So you might be thinking, Leanne, why are you telling me the story? It's a good story, but what does it have to do with me? The reason I'm telling you guys the story is because you and I are called to be a part of a divine relay. You know, we often refer to our Christianity as a walk of faith, but I want to tell you today, it's not a walk. It's not a sprint either. It is a divine relay, and we are called by our God. We are mandated to go out into the world and to hand over the baton of faith to the people in our lives. That's what we are called to do. We were born for this hour you guys were born to be living in Ireland. I was born to be in South Africa. And we are called to influence the people in our lives by handing over the baton of faith. You know, I read a lot of leadership books and I love John Maxwell. And what they all say is that the sign of a really good leader is if they had to leave the organization that they're leading, the organization carries on flying. It gets better and better and better because leaders hand over the baton seamlessly. Okay, it's not this, this sloppy exchange. If you're a leader and you leave your organization, everything falls apart. You've dropped the baton. So you might be saying to me, okay, Leanne, this is a good story, but what is the point of this? What does it have to do with me today? The reason I'm telling you guys this story is, is because you and I have been called by our God to be a part of a divine relay. You know, we often refer to our Christianity um, as a walk of faith. But I want to tell you today that we are not called to a walk of faith. We're not called to a sprint. We are called to be a part of a divine relay where we go out into our world and we pass on the baton to the people that God's placed in our worlds, the baton of faith. 
We have to realize that success is not about just what I do, just about how fast I run alone, but success is what kind of a legacy am I leaving? How well am I carrying the baton of faith into my world? You know, every interaction that you have at the shops, um, when you go to a restaurant, how you speak to the waiter or the waitress, the interactions you have at work with your colleagues, these are all opportunities where God has asked us and called us to pass the baton of faith to these people in our worlds. Because success, it actually all hinges on the exchange zone. You know, I, I love John Maxwell. I love reading leadership books and listening to podcasts. And they always say, the leadership gurus, they always say that if you're a good leader and you leave your organization, it should fly. It should get stronger. It should get better. It should be even more successful. And that's the sign of a good leader because you've been empowering and you've raised up people and you've handed over the baton. But if you leave your organization as a leader and everything falls apart, you weren't a very good leader because you dropped the baton. See, it's all about the legacy. It's all about whose life we're having an impact on. God has called us to influence the people in our lives. And my main point of today's message, I'm going to expound on it, but I want you guys to get this. My main point is that we're called to pass the baton horizontally, and that's to our work colleagues, um, to our children's parents, to our friends that don't know Jesus. We're called to pass the baton of faith horizontally, and we're also called to pass the baton of faith vertically down to the next generation. That's what God's called us to whether you're a parent or not, maybe you're 20 years old, you're saying, Leanne, I don't have kids. Maybe you never want to have kids. We're all called to be spiritual mothers and fathers, and we're called to hand the baton down to the next generation. I'm going to read to you guys from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And it says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. So once David had passed the baton successfully onto his own generation, God took him to heaven. He got to go to paradise. He got to be with Jesus. But the next verse that I want to read to you guys is actually a very, very sad piece of scripture for me. We're going to read from Judges chapter 2, verse 8 to 12. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. Now, as a mother, I've got two little girls who can't wait to come to Ireland. As a mother, as a biological mother, but also as a spiritual mother, this piece of scripture is heartbreaking to me. Because the thought of my children not knowing how good my God is, the thought of me leaving this earth and my children not serving Jesus is heartbreaking, my physical and my spiritual children. And the thing is, if we think about Joshua, we think of a great leader, don't we? 
And he was. He was a great military leader. He led Israel through some tough seasons. But I want you to stop and think for a moment, and I'm not disrespecting Joshua. I have so much respect for Joshua. But if we're going to label success as whether we pass the baton on properly to our generation and the next generation, was he really successful? And if we look at this, he clearly dropped the baton because the whole of the next generation didn't know our God. Guys, it's tragic. You need to realize that Joshua was alive in the time when our God parted the Red Sea. He saw that happen. He saw God feed the Israelites with manna from heaven. He got to watch the walls of Jericho collapse after they just marched around and blew a trumpet. Imagine seeing those kind of miracles, but not telling your children about it. Guys, that's heartbreaking stuff. And I think we've got to learn from this. If an amazing man like Joshua could drop the baton, we can't be so arrogant to think that we're just going to naturally get it right ourselves. Amen? We need to be people who are so intentional with impressing the next generation with our faith. Deuteronomy talks about it. It says, impress your children with your faith. I have amazing parents, um, so, so do Sean and Jill, and I know that they've impressed us with their faith. We've seen them walk the walk. Um, when things went well, my parents would come home and say, Leanne, look how good God has been. Look what he's done. Look how faithful he is. And their faith grew my faith, and it made me want to love God more and serve him more. But it's not always that easy. And we're going to quickly touch on why it's not always that easy. See, we have an enemy, the devil, and I don't want to give him too much airtime because he doesn't deserve much airtime. We serve a God who is way more powerful. The earth is his footstool, and the devil trembles at the name of Jesus. So we don't have to live in fear, but we do have to be aware that we have an enemy, and he does not want us successfully passing on the baton horizontally or vertically. And he's got some tricks that he often uses. And we're going to look quickly at some of his favorite tactics because awareness and knowledge is power, isn't it? First one, first tactic to stop us from passing the baton effectively is apathy or laziness. Come on, who's honest? Who can be a little bit apathetic or lazy sometimes? Anybody? I know I can. I can, I can, especially in winter, and you guys live in a, in, in a colder place than I do. In winter, I like to snuggle on the couch, and, and, I, and I can end up being a little bit apathetic, you know, just watching the world go by um, on social media. But Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has called us to. See, church, God's called us to run. Now, I admitted in the beginning, I'm not a natural runner, okay? Running is painful for me. It's painful. But sometimes, with great purpose, we've got to push through a bit of pain. Amen? And God's called us to run. We're not called to be spectators. You know, I always laugh at the Olympic Games. This is me. 
Okay, I get really into it. I'm sitting on the couch. I've got my popcorn. I'm stuffing my face. And when someone messes up, I'm like, I'm tuning this athlete who's given their life to training and who's given their life to the sport. This athlete who could run circles around me in their sleep. And like, for example, when, when, when Marion Jones um, messed up the exchange, everyone's screaming at the TV. She should have. She could have. I would have. But you didn't. You were sitting on the couch watching TV. And often as spectators, it's very easy to get critical. Am I right? Especially in the church world. Come on. We're not doing anything. We can get super critical. This pastor, this minister, this ministry, this theology. But what are you doing? Are you sitting on the couch? Are you spectating or are you running? Are you doing something for heaven's sake? One of my favorite sayings is, what are you doing for heaven's sake? It's a pun. I like puns. I like English. So for heaven's sake, what are you doing for heaven's sake? Do something. Are you guys with me? Don't be a spectator. Be a participator. God's called us to run this race. I was at my daughter's netball match last weekend. And I'm a, I'm a typical um, biased, proud mom. And I think my girls are the best netball players in the universe. And my oldest daughter, it was a bit of a mess up. She ended up playing almost three games in a row, which is like 90 minutes of netball in the hot African sun. And this kid was giving everything she's got. And she was intercepting balls and defending. And I was being a typical spectator. I was sitting on the bench, watching her with my sunscreen on, drinking my water, and she'd barely had a water break, and I'm yelling, Juliana, defend, put your hands up, stick to the, stick to the goal attack, get the rebound. Like, I'm yelling, do this, do that, while I sit on my butt on the bench. And this child, I mean, I wouldn't have lasted five minutes doing what she was doing. She's so much fitter than me. I was being a typical spectator. You know, some Christians, we think that our purpose is just to get to heaven. My purpose is to make it to heaven. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. I have completed my purpose. That's not your purpose. That was Jesus's purpose. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross so that you and I can go to heaven. That's already done. That's not your purpose. If that was your purpose, the minute you and I got saved, we would be zapped up to heaven. But our purpose is to hand over the baton of faith to the people in our world who don't know Jesus, to our children, to the next generation, to our spiritual sons and daughters. I want you to ask yourself, when last did I invite a colleague who doesn't know Jesus to church? When last did I pray for an unsafe family member? When last did I read my children a Bible story? Come on, I've been convicted by this. We've got such a great kids church here at View Church Tableview. Our kids church is phenomenal. But I've realized they are not responsible for my children's spiritual health. I'm their parents. And I've got to talk to them about God. I've got to tell them that they were designed by a God on purpose, for a purpose. That they are called to be participators, not spectators. You know, the crazy thing is that 
our children, this generation, they get taught this, this, this mad theory. They get taught this at school. And I, I don't say this arrogantly, but I, I, I am a medical doctor, and so I studied um, medicine. Obviously, it's, it's a nine-year package here in South Africa. And in my first and second year, I got to dissect an entire human body, right? Which is pretty cool. So you cut up every organ, you look for every vein, every blood vessel, you get sprayed with liquefied fat as you're cutting through. It's, it's pretty gross, but it's pretty cool. And when I saw how complicated and how amazing our anatomy is, I'm even more blown away that academics teach our kids this theory. But they tell our kids that once upon a time, there was a big mass of nothing. And this big mass of nothing spontaneously collided with another big mass of nothing. And then there was a big bang. And suddenly, a cockroach appeared. And that cockroach became a dinosaur. And the dinosaur became monkey. And then a human being arrived. That's what they're telling our, gener- our, our children's generation. That's what they are teaching our children. And I'm telling you, after looking at the anatomy and the physiology of a human body, how complicated we are, how every system works perfectly together, and the backup systems, there is no way that we were put together by accident from some great collision. No, I'm telling you today, we were designed by a creator. We were perfectly knitted together. We were thought through. There's an excellence in our design. We were created on purpose, for a purpose. And I believe this, this, this theory of coming from nothing, it takes way more faith than it does believing that a God put us together meticulously and created us and designed us. We need to teach the next generation the truth. And I want to say this, because... We need to realize this. We can be very critical of the next generation. We talk about millennials and Gen Zs, and we can be super critical. But if we're telling a generation for long enough that they came from nothing, that their purpose is nothing, and they are going nowhere, we can't be surprised if they start living for nothing. Am I right? If we don't pass the baton on properly, if we drop it, they're not going to live for Jesus. And that would be the biggest, biggest shame. The second thing that stops us from passing the baton properly is distractions. Who here gets easily distracted? I can get very distracted. Oh, again, on Instagram or, you know, uh, sometimes I feel like um, Dory from Finding Nemo. Oh, something sparkly. And I'm distracted. It happens. We get distracted. We're living in a fast world. We have access to everything. The world's become so small. We can get distracted by our businesses, our hobbies, our health, our dreams, our social status. You know, Queen Esther was distracted by her social status. She was distracted by by being queen and and also probably by the whole concept of self-preservation because in her time... This man, Haman, plotted to annihilate the Jewish nation. And her uncle, Mordecai, came to her and said, Esther, you are queen. You need to go to the king and ask him to save the Jewish people. And she said, you can't ask me to go to the king. I could get my head cut off for that. Are you crazy? I don't want to die. 
I can't just go to the king. He has to call me. He hasn't called me in over a month. And her uncle Mordecai said to her, Esther, that's cool, but don't be fooled. Don't think that if, if the Jewish nation gets killed, you're going to be spared because you're sitting in the palace. He said, you're going to go down with the rest of the Jewish people. But I want you to know this. If you don't say yes to the call of God, if you're too distracted by your comfort and your social position, our God is so big, he will use someone else, but he will save the Jewish people. But Esther, maybe, just maybe, you were called for such a time as this. You were placed in the palace for such a time as this. And Esther responded to the call. She responded to the invitation to be a history maker. And she went to the king. She prayed and she fasted. And she went to the king with all of heaven backing her. And she was part of saving an entire Jewish nation. I want to say to you today that you are called for such a time as this. It's not a cliche comment that preachers like to throw out. It's the truth of God's word. You are living in Ireland in 2021 for a reason. You were called to make a difference, to pass the baton of faith to the people in your lives, to your children. Don't miss out on the invitation. Last thing that can take us out of the game is bitterness or hurt. You know, if the devil can get us bitter and hurt and filled with unforgiveness, he will do it. He'll do it in a second. Because when we're holding so tight to offenses and unforgiveness, there's no space in our hands to carry a baton of faith. We can't pass it on because our hands are filled with all the anger. And listen, I'm a work in progress. I tell people all the time, you hang out with, hang out with me long enough? I am bound to offend you because I'm an imperfect person who's going to mess up, just trying to serve a perfect God and, and trying to do better. But I'm going to mess up, but I'm probably going to offend you sooner rather than later. And you know what? If I hang out with you for long enough, you're probably going to offend me because you're an imperfect human being trying your best. None of us have it all together. But what I'm working on, and I'm trying to get better at all the time, is having a thick skin and a soft heart. A thick skin so I'm difficult to offend, and a soft heart so I am quick to forgive. And I ask Jesus to help me with this every day. But I'm not going to miss out on my calling because I'm gripping on to offense. Amen? So just quickly. We're going to be closing, but how do we live life successfully passing on the baton of faith? First thing is, we need to know the truth. John 8 verse 31 to 32 says, So he said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to get some truth into our lives, don't we, church? We need to get God's word into us. I say this a lot, but the word of God, the Bible says, is our weapon. It's a sword. 
If you've got a sword, you've got to use it to attack and defend. You've got to speak God's truth over your life. When the devil comes with lies, how do you fight back with the truth? God says, I'm the head and not the tail. God says, I'm called. God says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. God says, he holds me by my right hand. He's my defender, my protector, the lover of my soul. We have to know the truth. We also need to engage with the Holy Spirit. I read a book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I loved the book. Um, but the main thing that stuck with me was to wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Please help me today. Please lead me today. When I was working full-time as a, as a GP, as a general practitioner, I would say, Holy Spirit, help me to diagnose the patients properly today. Help me to know what's wrong with them because I don't want to, you know, let someone die on my watch. I don't want to get it wrong. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I can't do this in my own strength. And I believe he helped me and he led me and he showed me things. Even if you're wanting to start a new business, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you who should you partner with? What should you do? You might get that feeling inside, that uh-uh feeling. And that's the Holy Spirit saying no. He reveals the truth to us. We need to engage with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we need to protect our eyes. Matthew 6 says that the eye is the lamp to the body. You need to know today that the devil is after your sight. Why is he after your sight? Because what you behold, you become. I want to ask you, in this media-saturated world of 2021, what are you beholding? Because it's going to tell us what you're going to become. Are you staring at social media all the time? Is it making you compare yourself with other people? Are you getting competitive? Are you getting angry? Are you getting bitter? Are you getting jealous? Because if you are, you need to get off social media. Maybe social media is actually good for you. Maybe it inspires you. I don't know. But you need to have a look at what you are looking at and how it's making you feel. Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Come on, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus first. We look to Jesus first. He's our God. Your spouse can't be your God. Your children can't be your God. Your boyfriend can't be your God. Only God was designed to be God. Job 31 verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. And there's some of us today and we're listening and we know that we need to make a covenant with our eyes because we are looking at some stuff that we shouldn't be looking at. It's not good for our souls. Maybe it's TV, it's on the internet, but you know it's not good for your soul and you're saying, today I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. Third thing is we need to watch our ears. You know, I used to, um, I used to always find it quite interesting um, in, in GP practice, when a patient would come in sort of swaying, you know, like really dizzy, and often they looked like they'd been sitting at an Irish pub drinking a little bit too much, looked as drunk as a sailor. But on examination, they weren't drunk. They just had a really bad middle ear infection. And the crazy thing about the ear is that it's not just there for hearing, it's also there to keep us balanced. Our middle ear is responsible for our balance. And sometimes when we don't guard our ears, we go completely out of balance. So who are you lending your ear to? What are you listening to? The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Again, who needs some faith in 2021? I think we all do. 
Where are we going to get our faith from? We're going to get our faith from the Word of God. Not from the news, not from Instagram, not from Facebook stories, from the Word of God. Come, some of us know that there's people who have our ears who, we sh- who, who, who are gossiping, who are negative, and we know we need to cut them out. Just last week, I was in the car. I picked up a girl who doesn't know Jesus, and um, I was in a really good mood, and I got into the car with her, and after 30 minutes of driving with her, I felt so down. I felt so myth. All my joy had been stolen because I just lended my ear to the wrong person. And after hearing negativity for 30 minutes, I felt awful, and I realized I need to make sure that I don't spend too much time with her. Who... Are you lending your ear to? Just also, you know, with the word of God, if the only bit of the Bible you're getting into your life is a 30-minute sermon once a Sunday, you are in trouble. We need to be getting the word of God into our life daily, please. We need faith to take on the world in 2021. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Come on. And we need some truth in our lives. The truth will set us free. Last thing is we need to guard our tongues. Now, most of us, I'm sure, can admit that at some point in our lives, our tongues have got us into a fair amount of trouble. I know mine has. And some of us more than others. But Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, when I first read this verse, I thought this is a very strange verse. It doesn't make sense. We're talking about tongues and eating fruit. And how's the tongue? what What does this mean? And I did some reading. And what it actually means is, You know, we think when we curse someone with our tongue, they're being cursed. But the Bible says we eat the fruit of what comes out of our mouth. So when you curse someone else, you're going to eat the fruit. You're cursing yourself. I don't want curses over my life. So I'm not going to speak curses over other people's lives. I want blessings over my life. I need to speak blessings over other people's lives. Listen, I'm a work in progress. I'm growing in this. But a prayer that I try to pray every day is Psalm 141 verse 3. And it says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the doors of, our, of my lips. Some of us need to ask God to set a guard over our lips. We need a bit of help in that area. Come on, I want to I wanna hand over the baton of faith to my generation and to the generation below me. And I want to hand it over by speaking words of life, by speaking words of faith. I want my children to hear life coming out of their mother. We're gonna we're gonna close, and just in this moment, I just want everyone just to just to close your eyes and just to have, take a moment for the Holy Spirit just to speak to you, because I really do believe that He's speaking to hearts today, and that He's highlighted little areas in your life that you know you need to work on. Maybe he said to you, come on, you need to you need to get up off the couch. You can't be a spectator. I've called you to be a participant. Maybe he's saying to you, um, listen here, you've actually got to get over some distractions. You've got to get focused. You've got to watch your eyes. Today, you've got to make a covenant with your eyes. 
or today you've got to ask me to put a guard over your lips. Wherever the Holy Spirit has, has spoken to you, I just want you to acknowledge it and I want you to speak to God in this moment. And then I'm going to pray for all of us. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are here. And I thank you that you've called us to be a part of this divine relay, God. And Lord, we want to be a generation of people who pass the baton of faith over well, God, to our generation and the generation below us, God. We want to leave a legacy that impacts eternity. And God, we thank you that you would use us to be your hands and your feet. Holy Spirit, right now, won't you empower us, God? Won't you empower us to get up, God? to do something for heaven's sake, Lord. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to get into your word. Help us to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. And help us to deliberately live for the people who don't know you, God. Help us to deliberately live lives full of purpose in Jesus' name. And just while we stay in this attitude of worship with every head bowed out of respect. If you're listening to this message and you're saying, Leanne, I hear what you're saying, but I don't actually know this God that you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus personally. I don't have a relationship with him. I wouldn't be able to say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I don't have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Or maybe you're just saying, Leanne, I don't feel like I'm living on purpose. I don't, I don't know this God that you're saying designed me. I want to tell you that today you were designed by a God who loves you and you were designed on purpose for a purpose. And today you can give your life to him and you can say yes to leaving a legacy and living for eternity. So with every head bowed out of respect, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to live for something greater than myself, Every head bowed out of respect. I'm going to count to three. And if you're saying, Leanne, include me in a prayer, you just have to stick your hand up. No one else is looking. One, God so loved the world. Two, that he gave his one only son. Three, that whoever believes in him could have eternal life. You can stick your hand up right now. Anyone who's saying, I want to get to know this Jesus. I want to live a life of purpose. I don't want to just live for the here and now. I want to live for eternity. You can just stick your hand up. It's the best decision you could ever make. And we're going to pray together as a church family. You can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Today, I ask you to come into my life and to be Lord of my life. Thank you that you called me to purpose and to destiny. Thank you that you love me. And from now on, I belong to you and you belong to me. And I'll never be alone again. In Jesus' name, amen.